0: Oh my gosh. That was an incredible episode with Travis Hill. Um, he went into some things I feel like we haven't gotten into before, like syndication, um, and the assisted living type stuff. Um, I, I'm really excited for people to listen to this episode. I think, like I said, he, he dives into some things that we've never touched on before and gives some really great information as to, you know, why he's doing things that a lot of other people, um, aren't or can't do or think they can't do. And then, you know, ways that they can get involved with some of the stuff that he's doing.
1: Yeah. Travis is a a great wealth of knowledge. I mean, if you want to talk about somebody who's been, been there, I mean, he's probably our first guest who was around in 08 and and really felt the consequences of, of the uh, great recession. um, And has since come back and come back with a, with a fury um what's he have like 129 doors whether they're syndicated or he owns them outright or partnered he's just yeah he's he's took all the lessons from 08 and just has catapulted his position since
0: oh my gosh that's so true i totally yeah oh my gosh i totally forgot to touch on that um yeah (laughs) like He basically lost it all in 2008. And I think that's really cool that we've had somebody on that has that perspective of losing it all and still wanting to continue um, in real estate. And I also love like his take on the fact that he's doing so many different types of things within real estate um, and and diversifying kind of within real estate, you can diversify, I feel like. And I think that he's a good example um, of that
1: yeah i agree i mean the whole assisted living aspect and and, you know looking at the macro economy it's not just housing it's looking at at data and demographics and knowing that there's i think he called it a silver tsunami coming of baby boomers who are going to you know need to eventually move into you know those those assisted living places i mean that's a very smart move in my opinion without looking at any of the financials of it just knowing like that age demographic and that's coming I mean, those are the things that as investors, we need to always be mindful of on some level. So I think that's a super good tip from him.
0: Oh my gosh, I couldn't, I could not agree more. And then two, just his take on, I know we had, I think uh, it was Mindy, on episode number two of our podcast where she talked a little bit about Dave Ramsey and Mm -hmm. I love um how he how Travis goes into a little bit of the Dave Dave Ramsey aspect and how you know he was totally on board with Dave Ramsey um however there's a couple things that he doesn't agree with with him um and I think it's the same as what Mindy was talking about how not all debt is bad debt and I think that's something that um, Dave kind of preaches. And I I kind of love how it seems like there's a theme now with the guests who do like Dave Ramsey, um, that they're kind of, you know, they do want to live below their means, but they don't hundred percent believe that all debt is bad debt. Um, real estate debt could be an amazing thing and it could be an amazing way to set you up um for the for the future. And uh I do like too how um, Travis goes into his, his, uh, his mastermind. I think that is incredible how most of his real estate investing has come from networking with his mastermind networking on Instagram, um, just the relationships. And I think that he does, he does a great job of kind of pointing that out in this episode and how important it is to continue with the networking and the relationships. And that's kind of what is going to further you in real estate.
1: Yeah, I think that's a huge lesson for anybody, especially somebody looking to get started. If you have zero deals or one deal, get to a meetup, go on Instagram, go and find people who are of like mind and start introducing yourself, start making those connections. And if you have been in this business for a while and you feel like that's one of your weakest things, it's now time to do that. If you want to get to that next level, you got to have the relationships and you got to maintain them as well it's not so much about getting them and, and shaking hands initially it's about keeping that up over the longevity of however long you want to do this
0: exactly i completely agree and then two oh i love how he dives into his his goal of being able to completely live off his passive income when he um is finally retired from um, I don't know exactly how to put it. I mean, you know, he's, he, he does all kinds of deployments. And, um, so I guess when he retires from, I don't know what that would be, but (laughs) when he retires, he definitely wants to try and live off, uh, just his passive income. So I think that's a great goal. And then, um, like you were just saying, he does have four kids, so he kind of wants to leave, be able to leave behind, um, something for, for his children. So I think that that's a great, great point that he gets into, as well, um, yeah, and the silver tsunami. I'm excited for people to hear more about that. I feel like this was the first time we had anybody on that talked about, um, you know, assisted living, and then two syndications. I feel like that, you know, he's he's definitely the first person that has ever talked about syndications on our on our podcast. So props to him.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's so much that Travis got into. I mean, he even has like uh, been a private lender himself, and he gave some of his criteria. I don't know, Kier. maybe we should kind of (laughs) leave people uh, on their toes here and maybe bring Travis in before we give away too much.
0: Absolutely. Sounds good. All right. So we will bring Travis in now. All right. Welcome, Travis. We are so excited to have you on the Like-Minded Investors podcast. How are you?
2: Great. Thank you so much. Super stoked to be here.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm super stoked that you are here and we get to ask you all kinds of questions tonight. (laughs) Um, So obviously the first one we start off with everybody is kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what it is you're currently doing with real estate investing and and kind of how you got to where, where you are today.
2: Okay, great. So right now I'm passively and actively invested in 129 doors and we'll talk more about what that kind of means and the difference between those two. I currently am an equity partner in Land Hill in Arizona, have single family homes in Wisconsin, and again, syndications, which we'll talk more about in Texas, and I also own a multifamily unit property in Ohio. So we're kind of all over the place, lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, this is kind of my round two of investing. I started 20 years ago when my fiance, now wife, was a loan officer. We were doing single family homes in Las Vegas, had six properties there pre-recession, and the recession, like many of us, uh, by 2011, I am a, I don't know, early 30 with three kids and a bunch of foreclosed and short sold properties, starting over. So took a little hiatus from uh, 2011, let the let the uh, wounds heal till 2018, and started in 2018. That's where we are now.
0: Oh my gosh. I completely forgot. Yeah. So Travis and I have known each other for, I think at least over a year, maybe two years. I don't remember. I feel like you were like in like the very beginning of the like-minded investors, uh, group where we didn't even open up to the public yet for that meetup. Um, I completely forgot about that whole, about that whole, like, thing you went through back then with the foreclosures and how you're kind of like almost starting over. I think that's a great topic to kind of dive into Mm -hmm. first. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I'm
2: glad you forgot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know it's probably hard for you, for you to forget, but um, yeah, no, I think, I think that's a great topic because a lot of people right now, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, we hear a lot of people that are afraid to get into real estate because they I think that there's this looming um, recession or, you know, something similar to 2008. So I would love if you would just like dive into a little bit of that story um, about how, you know you were on top of the world and then kind of lost it all, so to speak.
2: Absolutely. Yes, uh, my, wife, my fiance then, like I said, was doing, was doing loans as a loan officer. And she said, hey, you should probably get on this real estate thing. And uh, just finished college, followed her after college to Las Vegas, and would find a, a phase one house because everything's kind of built in phases when you do mass communities right and that's how they kind of build in las vegas and so you buy the second biggest house on the phase one and i would house hack before house hacking was a term Rent out the other rooms, so i live for free and then wait till phase. and then with every phase release they would you know raise the price five to ten fifteen thousand dollars and again this is early 2000 so Phase six, phase seven comes along, I refinance, I move on to the next house and I repeat that process over and over, join the Marine Corps, everything is great. And then the recession hits in 2008, come back from deployment, my second deployment to Iraq. And uh, now we're like, you figure that your year reserves is good. And then when that's gone in the year and Vegas is still at 50%, you know, year one, year two, I remember that we're pumping like $4,000 into these mortgages to try to make them work. And it just became the point where we just could not survive the length that Vegas was hit on the Great Recession. So we did, you know, we didn't foreclose. We were able to short sell the properties and uh, take that loss if necessary. And unfortunately, you know, we were family, three kids starting over again. And luckily I was in the Marine Corps making little to no money but at least it was a paycheck and uh it was it was very tough it was sobering to realize that i was 25 i'm like man i've got you know i've got a million plus dollars worth of assets this is going to be great when i'm 50 this is going to be cash flow machine this is going to be fantastic and then i am eating beans and rice reading dave ramsey's book trying to figure out what's wrong what's wrong so lots of good lessons lots of uh things that I learned, I learned, my biggest lesson is, is that I was so focused on the ants crawling on my trees, right? Like focusing on the house that I didn't bother to read, listen to C-SPAN or read market reports or listen to what the bond deal does or how stocks affect the, the government bonds or like all the, the things that you just, you don't have access to now with social media and YouTube and all that stuff that you should have probably paid attention to because I just didn't know. And you don't know what you don't know. And I wish I had paid attention to the forest burning around me instead of just like appreciating driving by my houses every week and picking up rent checks.
0: Wow, that is, is, oh my gosh, that's insane. So you, okay, you mentioned something about Dave Ramsey. what was your takeaway from from reading that Dave Ramsey book, or why did you even pick that pick that up in the first place? And if you could, I don't know if all of our listeners know who Dave Ramsey is, but kind of, uh, you know, real quick, just go over like his philosophy, I guess about. Yes. Yeah, Dave
2: Ramsey created Financial Peace University FPU, and it's huge, especially in the military community. A lot of people uh, follow Dave Ramsey. I'm a I support Dave Ramsey to a point. I think that everybody should and. Uh, appreciate what Dave Ramsey has brought to millions of people. Dave Ramsey has very set uh, particular and very set criteria that he has. He lives his life. Like everything is cash. There's no credit card debt. There's no debt of any kind. You save your house. And while all that is true, and if you have credit card debt or if you're just like spiraling out of control because we were with just the, the mortgages, we couldn't keep those afloat. So we were like, man, like we're, we're trying to like live on beans and rice, which is a very common saying for him of like living below your means and you live below your means for so long and you set up an emergency fund first and you pay off all your credit cards. And then you know basically it's a way for you to erase debt. And I think that for people that are in debt and have tens of thousands or more or less of credit card debt especially a brand new Marine that wants to go buy a Camaro because he has a credit card and the interest rate is 27%. Like that's the perfect person to go talk to Dave Ramsey. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do this. This is bad. Prom- I promise you. So it's a way for me and my, my wife and I to kind of like, all right, like this is our goal. This is what we're trying to do. This is living within our means so that we can continue to move forward because we knew that real estate was never going to go away. We knew that it was in our life but It was just not an opportunity right now with what we had going on. And so when I part with Dave is where he starts saying that all debt is bad or debt is bad. And then you get into Robert Kiyosaki, rich dad, poor dad, where they're like, no, there is good debt and there is bad debt. Like I have four children. You can ask any one of them what's the difference between an asset and a liability. And they will tell you that an asset puts money in your pocket and a liability takes money out of their pocket, right? So we we have our vision board and We have the cash flow quadrant on there, ESB and I. And these are all things that you learn and understand how money works. And when the more you understand and the more knowledge you gain about how money works, the more empowered you are to take action and to learn how OPM works, which is other people's money to help maximize your portfolio or to invest in real estate or whatever it is that you choose to invest in and the method in real estate of how you choose to invest in your money.
0: And there are so many methods when it comes to real estate investing, which is why I'm kind of excited, um, to have you on the episode. I think you're the first person that, um, has done syndications and, um, I didn't even know you were doing stuff with residential assisted living, which I would love to get into at some point. Um, but Bill, before we move on, did you have any questions, um, regarding any of those, those topics that he's already, he's already discussed?
1: Uh, No, I mean, I think you're our first guest as well that has gone through, or at least talked to us about going through 2008. So, um, given that there is a lot of talk right now about that, I think it's really, whether it happens or it doesn't, I think it's a good educational point for people to hear kind of what that experience was
2: like.
0: Yeah, and that you made it through.
2: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And when I started, when we started investing again. You know, my dad was like, "Why are you gonna do that? You lost all your properties first time." I'm like, well, because if I did it once, I can do it again. I'm probably gonna do better because I learned some things. And you gotta, you gotta, get back on the horse when you fall down. I was raised with horses, so I figured that would be a, you know, a parallel for him. But he didn't pick that up. So it, we're, we're gonna make it happen.
0: Yeah. Well, you are making it happen. It seems like so. I personally know close to zero about syndications. So, um, I would love to know how you even got started in syndications, what syndications are, um, kind of give us like the rundown on that part of your, your real estate investing. Okay,
2: cool. So I first got introduced to syndications because of the mastermind group that I'm in, which is all it's called the war room and it's all active duty and veteran military members. And, um, it's the mastermind that has allowed me to grow and meet other active and veteran syndicators. And those are the people that bring, when you see, when you drive by a property, you know, an apartment complex or a condo complex, and it's like two blocks worth, you know, hundreds of units. Uh, for example, uh, Chris and Ashton Laverick with Valkyrie Investment Group, they just purchased a 384 unit in Florida, 384 doors. That obviously, one person, unless you hit the lottery or you invest, in, you have an oil company or something, you're not going to have all that money at one hand. Right, like one person not going to have that. So you have two types of partners. You have a GP, which is general partners, and they're the ones that get with the lenders and find the property and do all the demographics and all of the underwriting to say this property is a good deal. They then say, hey, it is for. We'll just use easy numbers, right? We'll just say fifteen million right? Well, they're going to find limited partners or LPs. They're going to fund that 15 minute, that 15 million for whatever, let's just say, we'll use standard 80, 20. And there's a million, I'm not even trying to get into all the different ways, but we'll just stick stick standard. They raise the 80% and then they fund, then they are, they, they raise the 20% and they get a mortgage on the 80%. So just like we would do on a regular single family home. We, as limited partners, bring the money to the general partners and say, hey, here's our money. You will get it for typically three, five, or seven years. It's typically five years. You do a five-year hold on the property. We'll give you a preferred return, which means that if it makes money, you get the the limited partners get paid first, and then the general partners get paid second. And it's usually a 50-50, 60-40, 70-30 split, and that's all worked out in like the 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 webinar that the general partners would present to those people. You get a set return, six, seven, eight, six to nine percent usually. You there's an equity multiplier. There's a lot of different things that go into that, but basically, as a limited partner, and you're considered a passive investor because you do not have a say or any action like Bill, you or here that you guys would have in your flip or your Burr, like you're actually doing it. As a passive investor, they used to call it mailbox money. Now they call it ACH money because I just get a monthly or, or quarterly deposit into my account that I gave them with my routing number. And so at the end of the five years when that property comes to the term, right? Whatever they've negotiated that, that duration of the investment to be and they pay everybody out, general partners get it. They it to somebody else and move on and, and repeat. So, it's a very good way to be a passive investor because I'm not having to worry about a tenant. I'm not worried about a leaky roof. I'm not worried about finding water in my bathroom, right? Like, those are all things that I, as a passive investor, don't need to worry about. But what makes passive and being an LP or being in syndications is the relationship that I'm able to build with the general partners. So, there's Tristan Ashton Lavarek, there's Fetching Heath, uh, man, there's, and you, and the, there's so many good syndication people out there that are creating amazing things. Brian Briscoe of Four Oaks Capital, like there's tons of good people doing amazing things with syndications. Michael and, Michael and Susie Sevier with Adventurous REI, like they're just incredible that wants to bring solid, sustainable homes on a mass scale because there's not enough single family homes, there's not enough duplexes, not enough residential dwellings being made or being built for what we need as a country in whole. So it is a fantastic way for someone to get a small understanding to invest in real estate without the headaches of like, oh my gosh, I gotta buy it. I'm gonna get a phone call at 2 a.m. because there's a leaky faucet. It's not how that works. If you, want, if you like that, which we do, the three of us do, that's an active investor. And if you like syndications and wanna be more hands-off, man, then passive investing is the way to go.
1: Now let's say that I am tired of the water damage and the leaky faucets and everything. Bill
0: would Bill would know. (laughs) Unfortunately, just today he he's experiencing that in his flip.
1: Yeah, first first problem, real problem that has happened. So let's say hypothetically I'm all fed up, right? How would I get started in trying to become a passive investor? Like, what is the first actionable step I would have to take to to reach out to somebody like some of the folks you mentioned, or or how do I you know, start, you know, do I just give them a check and my routing number and say, pay me every quarter?
2: If you want to do that, we can talk after this uh, podcast. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that it starts with the relationship. It starts with uh, finding those people, reaching out, networking, and to find those people that do syndications. Uh, there, there are a couple differences in how the SEC, the Security Exchange Commission, looks at syndications. You have 50 and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, the numbers aren't correct. It's a 506 C, 506 B. I think it's 506, maybe 503. And all those relate to the tax code, right? One of those allows you to have a relationship with the person or has to have a relationship with the person. So if you want to, if I was syndicator, Bill, and you want to invest with in me, you and I would have a conversation. We get to know each other. That way, if the SEC comes back and says, do you know Bill? I, as a general can say, yes, I know Bill. We had conversations. Here's the email we talked about. Here's probably our text. This is the phone number. This kid's birthday is on this date. That type of stuff. There's also ones that are um, public and that anybody can go and just invest. And it's just like, hey, we're having this over here. Okay, that's cool. And I'll send, I'll send, send you my money. But it all starts with that relationship and how comfortable are you with somebody buying a 384 unit apartment complex and you've given them typically it's 50,000 somewhere 100 for the next five years.
0: Did that, that answer Yeah, did that answer your question, Bill?
2: I
1: think so. Yeah. Uh, one follow-up question, I guess, that I have is that, okay, $50,000, let's say that I have that. Do you need any evidence for me to be like an accredited investor?
2: Or- so that's a good question. So there's two types of investors when it comes to being a limited partner. You have sophisticated, which is a yearly amount. You, if you fall under a a threshold, I think it's a million dollars, right? If you fall, if you make less than a million dollars collectively with you and your spouse and your sophisticated investor, if you make over that, then you are a, an accredited investor. And then certain types of those syndications cater more toward um, accredited investors only, or they can bring so many slots of sophisticated investors in before they close that out. And sometimes it's like, I've seen 35, I've seen 25 slots or positions available for sophisticated investors. And that's all this, again, goes back to the conversations that you have with those syndicating personnel.
1: Makes sense. I don't have $50,000. All of it's going to plumbing in this house. So
2: yes,
0: unfortunately,
1: (laughs) unfortunately,
0: how, uh, Travis, how did you find these syndications to invest in? Like if you have to, um, quote unquote, like know the people, um, how did you get to know these people enough to be able to invest in their syndications with being able to abide by those rules? Or, I mean, are you an accredited investor?
2: I am not an investor. I do not make the threshold. I don't think it's a million. I think it's $200,000. Honestly, to, to transition from a sophisticated to a current investor, I think it's $200,000 a year, collectively. I think that's what it is. Uh, I am not. Um, there are stipulations. The SEC has kind of made those rules a lot less stringent in the last, I don't know, maybe 18 months or two years. So there are certain ways as, as a sophisticated investor, you can become accredited if you're becoming a financial planner. You get certain certain certificates. Um, but to for your original question, how I met all these people is all through my the mastermind group, hundred percent through the war room and meeting these people, and also just talking. Like I make, I'm I'm sure I know that you guys do. Real estate's a part of your life. It's how you communicate. It's one of the ways that you put that energy. And you put that out in the universe to be like, hey, I am doing real estate and it's freaking awesome. And I have goals and I have aspirations that real estate's going to allow me to do because I want to have cash flow or build my portfolio or whatever it is your goal is, what's your why and how real estate is facilitating that. Yeah. So get out, get out there and network. Talk, let people know that you're like, hey man, I. you know what a syndication is? No, you've heard of that? No, but that guy does. Sweet.
0: Go I love that. <laughs> Um, so you said, so I, then based on what you said, it kind of sounds to me like syndication is definitely more passive for the most part. Um, so if, so I feel like from what you've said so far, your syndication, um, deals that you're involved in is like your passive, um, way of, of investing, but you also mentioned that you do some type of like active investing. Um, where does, where does the active investing come in and what kind of, um, labels that active? Like, what are you actively doing in, in that other real estate investing?
2: All my active investing is out of state. So with the single family homes I have in Wisconsin and the multifamily I have in Ohio, they are, uh, I, I got to talk to my property manager. I got to send money. I got to collect rent, um, from, from the property manager, right? I've got to provide um, repairs when they move out. I get questions from the property manager about what they want to do about extending at least month to month, right? Um, that's that's what I mean by active. That's what an active investor does. I am the hands-on, and because of that estate, I'm relying on a property manager to make sure that they're vetting the right tenants, that they're keeping the right tenants, and, they, and the tenant wanna, wants to continue to live in that property.
1: That's awesome and i i have a question because we just talked to solely uh lattes and leases um and she invests out of state as well but she actually manages from out of state so i guess one of the questions i have is we we talked to her a lot about building an out-of-state team and things like that how did you find your property manager or managers like what was your criteria how
2: did you find them well, first she's crushing it, like she's <laughs> doing yes. so many great things, like, plus I think she's like a Canva guru, I don't know why, that mm-hmm. somehow her, her, somehow they like symbiotic between Canva and, uh, and her, I don't get it, it's the strangest thing, but how she's able to do that, um, I respect that a lot, I, as, as an active, active duty Marine officer, I have no time. To, uh, to facilitate that. There's too many meetings and the Marine Corps is a very jealous woman and wants to make sure that I'm at those meetings. And the last thing I need to do is make my tenant mad because I'm watching a PowerPoint, wanting to stab my eyeballs. So it is much easier for me to have a property manager. I found them just again, all through networking. Everything that my, everything that exists in my portfolio is because of networking, 100%, all of it. There's nothing that I have done on my own. Um, I did not just Google property managers in Cleveland and just start calling people. It was a network. What do you think about this person? How is this person? And then having, reaching out to people in my network and being like, hey, I'm I'm trying to find a property manager in Cleveland, Ohio. Does anybody have any good questions I could ask them? And then results. Here's a list. Here's what I use. Here's what I say. Sweet, man. Thank you so much. And I think that, as you guys know, that's the beauty of real estate, right? Like there's no, there's, Anybody who's selfish in this game doesn't last long. They get pushed to the side because there's nothing, There's you can't be selfish in this in this space. It doesn't work.
0: Absolutely. I could not agree more, hence why we have the like-minded investors community. I feel like um, there's been so many great connections made. Um, but so I feel like this is all stemming back to a theme of like relationships and networking. Like that's how basically you got to where you are today. Would you say that's where you were? Would you say that's how you got to where you were in 2008 as well as now, or in 2008, kind of like, how did it differ back then as opposed to like your new journey in real estate investing?
2: So, so we weren't doing this. Um, the real estate agents still had to, you know, they still had the Bible in Latin and the peasants didn't speak it. Right. So it was, uh, you had your agent and he went and found it. And so your agent was pretty much that person. There was no conversations with title. They were just that person that you had to go sign your initials to for the 7,500 pages to close, right? Like there was no relationship based. It was just a cold, um, ex- not, it was just a cold experience because even the agent with Vegas, the way it was when we were investing, um I didn't know what off-market deals were I didn't know what pocket listings were I didn't know what any of that I was like hey this is a great looking home okay it's listed for that okay cool I can afford that because you know the way the loans were being done I already had I had good credit I had a good job I already had a property so of course I was like primed to get whatever I wanted and then I did until I couldn't
0: do you think you were overleveraged then in 2008
2: uh I think I was. I think I was over leveraged and I was ignorant in 2008. I think that having, knowing what I know now, if I could tell myself back when I was 25, you know, 20 years ago, that would have been far better to be like, Hey, you should probably look at this or think about what off market deals are, or, you know, what, how can I find a burr or a flip or something else instead of just buying um, I thought the process worked you know coming in buying phase one and then re- refinancing at phase seven and taking the money out I thought that was work that worked it was over letters because I had no wiggle room I had no equity in the property when everything went to percent mm-hmm. and also even if I did let's say I didn't finance it refinance it those properties I still would not have the equity or anything in that in the properties um, there is definitely a correlation at least during that during Vegas and in, during the great recession, there were the correlation between home price and rental price. And as the price, you know, that whole entire area of Phoenix, Las Vegas, because everything got hit so hard, you know, it was like, oh, hey, here's your rent for 15. Okay, how about 1250? All right, how about a grand? Now, how about 850? Or well, can you do five? So just to keep the people in the house. And, you know, my wife and I, we laugh now. We would love to have one of the houses, just one, if we could have kept one. As it is now probably two and a half three times than what it was when we had
1: it do you, you ever go on like zillow and look at any of those properties or the estimates to like punish yourself at all or no
2: just no. turn the page <laughs> no i uh i try to hit i don't think it must hit myself in the face with two by four and do that it's i don't even want to like it's just no i'll just leave that i'll leave that in the hurt locker over there and just look at the locker and be fine
0: so if you could go back um, to, I don't know, I guess yourself, like, right, you know, when you were investing prior to the 2008 recession, um, would you give yourself different advice from what you've learned now with your, with your? I feel like it's part two of your real estate investing journey? Yes,
2: um, I would, I would, I would tell myself to look around to see what this was doing with the loans just like to get more educated in how money works, how the Fed is you know, funding this or just to get more broad. And so you can see it, because I'm sure there's a lot, there are people that saw it coming, right? Not, maybe not to the full extent, but there are people and then the, the, the research was there, or sorry, the information was there. And I just didn't know that I needed to look at it, and that's something that I would definitely, I would have told myself then. And I'd I probably have... would have, I probably would have diversified. I probably would have wouldn't have been in sole single families, and that's why round two now I'm not solely in single family.
0: Yeah, because then
2: education and information, technology, social media has provided me an opportunity to like, oh, there are more things I can do. I can do, I can do private lending. I can understand you know i can lend on the equity piece i can lend on the debt side um i can invest out of state i can do all these different things that still satisfies my goal when i retire from the marine corps and that's not to have a w-2 job and to just live solely on cash flow so it, it's just what information and the, the power and knowledge that provides
0: um so two questions come to mind real quick um do you have any Resources off the top of your head that you could recommend to people where they could um, kind of find out some of that information that you wish you had known back then. Um, if not, we can we can link some stuff in the in the notes later.
2: Probably like watch more multi report, more in financial TV. That's that's a scary thing. I don't have I don't have cable or anything. I haven't had like cables since we started having kids, so I don't know how skewed that is, but. You know, watch 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 sectors, watch um uh, you know, manufacturing stuff, like look at wood was a good example in the last during the reset or during the COVID, like watching that stuff. These those are the things I had no clue about. Didn't think it was important. Like, and there's wood there, cool.
0: Yeah. And but then, I don't
2: have anything specifically that I watch now. I just, yeah. Listen. just yeah. listen.
0: Yeah. And especially talk to your network and, you know, I feel like that's kind of a great source of information too, is just talking to other people and feeling out their, their thoughts and stuff on, you know, everything as far as the economy and, you know, rental properties flips. Like, I feel like, I don't know, that's a great place to start. And then my second.
2: And it is because like right now, like we're in three different States and three different different time zones, two two different time zones, right? Right. So I can publish or I can post a problem I'm having with a lender, whether local or nationwide, and I can easily have 10 people, a dozen people or more chime in on what, oh yeah, I totally had that problem too, but this is how I fixed it, right? Or I have experienced that thanks for the knowledge. Like, Like the ability to turn over information is so much faster than it was, you know, 20 years ago. So it, it allows us to achieve results faster because we are collectively, we're collaborating in like near real time.
0: Yeah. That's what I love about about being on Instagram. I'm not I'm not on Instagram right now. I'm taking a, a break from social media for a little bit, but that's what I do love about social media is you can get an instant response from so many different people from so many different perspectives. Um, do you, do you use social media in that way? Is that kind of how, I mean, I know you had that, you have that mastermind and everything, but do you also use your social media to kind of help with those things? Yeah. So helpful. So my second question that, um, you just brought up to my mind was you said that one of your your goals was to retire and be able to live off of your your cash flow. Um, I'm kind of curious as to like how on track are you for that? When do you retire? Do you have like a very specific cash flow goal, a unit goal? Kind of um, tell us where you're at with 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 your goals.
2: Right now, I am a fourth of the way there. Nice and. I determined that number by taking my expenses on a yearly basis and then figuring out what I, cause I right now I live on base, so I have base housing. So my, it's called BAH, basic allowance for housing. They pay that and then they take it out cause I live on base and um, I added that in. And so I have my set number of what it is that I need to have net cash flow every month and that, and, and at 20 years, you qualify because I'm old, but the new Marines have a different system. But I have a pension. So when I have 20 years, I'm eligible for that pension, which is 50% of my base pay. I'm planning on staying in right now for about 22, 23 years. So that's four or five years from now. And so on the pace that I'm at, I continue to make the cash flow goals that I'm currently getting and start to keep continuing to acquire. I'll be on track to actually uh, succeed that. let say that right? Surpass that, better word. So um, it was just a matter of seeing what the end in, you know, like what is Steve R. Kelly, right begin with the end in mind. So I knew what I had to get to and then I just reverse plan that to where I am. And then um, I don't have it down to, I need to close, you know, so many leads per day or so many calls per day. I don't have that down yet, but I have, I need to make this much money every year Till this time to be able to achieve my goal.
0: What uh, what kind of that brings me? Sorry, Bill, I'm like monopolizing questions, but it keeps bringing up like new questions for me. So what, um, what are you doing on? I don't know if you're doing it on a daily, weekly, monthly kind of. Um, I know that you just said that you don't have like specifics that you do every single day, like a number of people to call or whatever. But what are you doing? Like, what habits do you think that you have uh, that have contributed to your success?
2: I read the book, Miracle Morning by Al Rod. Oh, I
0: love it. Yes. We have to link to that 100%. And that is an amazing book. Yeah.
2: such a good book. Yeah. Um, Traction is another fantastic book. Um, Man, there's so many books that just change your mindset, right? That just help you really connect and turn over rocks. You may not want to turn over and expose things that you need to know about yourself. And so I'm up at every morning at 4.30. 30. Um, I get my, my life, my savers on, my lifesavers on. And uh, which will read about the book. So I'm not going to spoil it that one for you guys. <laughs> but I, I focus on doing that. And I, I have my um, intention journal for bigger pockets. And I plan my week and I block my time. And I just try to be very intentional. I have a, on my phone, I have a little reminder that says, patient, mindful, and engaged. Those are three things that I wanted to focus on. And whenever I have the time that I'm in front of people, because as I, my position in the Marine Corps right now is, is I have people come to my office all the time. And, and it's very hard to be like, Hey, you know what? I'd really like to talk to you right now. I'm sure that whatever you have, is are important, but I need to do this. I struggle with that internally between what I have locked in my time and, making sure that I'm there for, for my for the Marines. Because the last thing that I want to do is turn a marine away because I'm trying to fill something on my schedule and something you know bad happens or that bad things can happen. And so I have to be I'm very intentional because I want to be make sure that I'm patient because I'm not going to get heated or overreact because that person's there to see me that because it's important enough for them to be there to come see me. I should make it important enough for me to be present and mindful and engage with that person that come see me. Now I need to keep those same three attributes going when I'm talking, when I'm networking, when I'm talking to a lender, talking to an agent, um, you know, talking with my property manager, uh, shoot, talking to maybe I call on a owner-occupied property through social media, right? Craigslick or Facebook or something. Like I got to make sure that I'm using those three attributes as well. So there's a lot of triggers that I use, but it's all just a matter of repeating those Um that schedule, repeating those things over and over again so that I can deliver the best for myself, but also deliver the best for, for the Marines. And then, um, those people that I'm going to be moving forward with property.
0: Oh, I love it. Yes. Morning routine. I feel like it's so important. I feel like it, it like just sets up your day for success when you do those things for yourself in the very, like when you first wake up, just do those things for yourself and, I don't know. I just, I'm a huge advocate for, for your morning routine. (laughs) So I guess maybe we should switch gears now because I am super interested. I didn't even know that you were doing, um, residential assisted living. Is that a big part of your portfolio? Is it something new kind of tell us what that's all about?
2: Residential assisted living is so new. Um, I am super excited by it. I'm in, I am like enamored by it. My grandma was in a and was in an assisted living home. And I went there and I walked in and I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. And then I got to talk to the owner and then I got to talk to the owner some more. And then I got to talk to the owner about the money that they were making. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And so there is, they call it the silver tsunami and it's coming and they're projecting and you know, baby boomers are getting, they're no longer 50, they're no longer 60, they're 70, 80 plus. And there's going to be millions upon millions of baby boomers. They're going to need assisted living in all its aspects. Uh, I live in Orange County, California. I'm stationed at Camp Pendleton and there are probably in the last four years, there's probably there's three big like 40, 50, 60 unit Assisted living buildings that have gone up just in the last, I don't know, five miles, six miles, I'll throw out 10. So, residential assisted living is you take a single family home, maybe a duplex, something residential, you convert it to ADA uh, disability and also senior compliant, widen the hallways, put in a shrinker system, uh, no lip showers, take out the carpet, put all that, like, you know, your, your LVP down. And then you have a company come and manage it. And in my aspects of it, I want to be the landlord that, that builds or rehabs a property so that a company can come in and fill that space with patients and then they can run it. I am not interested in in the operational part of it. I am heavily and excited about providing a space that is that the patients can come in and they're kids and grandkids can walk in and be like, wow, nice place. I want my, my relative to live, to be here. And they, this is a place that they are comfortable coming to visit. And this is a place that they're comfortable being able to stay other than saying, Hey, we're just going to drop grandpa off in the nursing home. Right. We've all watched something about Mary. We know what happens when their fingers hurt. So.
0: Oh my God. I haven't seen that movie in so long, but yes.
2: <laughs> you don't want anybody who eat yard duty and have their back hurt. <laughs> So it's uh that's something that's interesting to me because it's it's a uh, you know imagine imagine being a landlord right and you get your rent check and your mortgage is whatever and you're getting your four two to five hundred dollars a month in net cash flow cool because that family is living in the property well imagine that same property converted into a row it's a three bedroom two bath house 1,800 square feet the average the national average for um Assisted living, a bed, they consider a bed is like 42, 4500 bucks, right? That's between private and insurance. Well, if you're putting two beds per room based on whatever your state requirement is, and every state is different, and what level of care that you have, right? Between just being able to help them with their meds to combing their hair and trimming their toenails, right? Let's just say you negotiate. Um, let's just say a thousand dollars a bed if the average is 4500 and that covers what all the operators are able to do and then that company that comes in and runs it they sign a 10-year triple net lease which means they cover all the taxes the repairs the insurance they cover everything and you just provided that and they do that for 10 years at a thousand dollars a bed and you have four to six beds <laughs> okay right so not only is it has a very f- fiscal Appeal to it. It also knows, like, hey, my grandma was in one of these, and I am very interested in making sure that somebody else's grandma is being taken care of by a reputable company that wants to come in and do it. But also, I, as a grandchild, can walk in and be like, yeah, this place is cool. Okay, fine. Instead of like, oh, look, there's roaches, and and you're going to have right, just like there's slumlords in individual houses and in, in residential and commercial. There's going to be slumlords in that. So, it's uh it's something I'm I'm digging.
0: How do you you find um, those? I'm sure it's probably the same way that you find property management companies. I'm sure that there's a whole bunch of those companies out there um, that do assisted living. How did you, I don't know if you've already started that process of finding somebody to actually like do a triple triple net lease on, I don't know how many properties you even have yet (laughs) that you're planning on doing this with. Zero, okay. That
2: many, but I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm, again networking i'm trying to find those people and try to find those individuals and and find a property right you have every state is different so you have certain requirements um like for arizona example your house can only be certain a certain mile away from another assisted living but it also can't be within a certain distance of battered women um mental health uh you know burger's any type of you know mF like uh ms sorry any type of like something that you can't you have to be certain miles away from other certain of those of those types of residences so you have to make sure that you know your state codes and again as an operator or as sorry as a landlord i want to be like hey this is good is the zoning correct is that stuff good okay roger that and then go out and find the company because i don't want to I have to do my due diligence because I don't want to find a property like this is great. And then find out that there's a battered home a half mile away and the requirement is a mile and a half. Like, oh go, crap, now what do I do? But that offers a great exit strategy, right? I don't think there's too many families that are going to be like, oh, these these hallways are too, too wide. I'm not going to rent here. You make it nice, they're still going to want to rent it whether the hallway is an extra six inches or not. Ooh, so that can, is... There's even exit strategies. Like you have exit strategy with it, you know. Like, oh, well, it's it's made really nice. Okay, well, there's no carpet. Cool, that's fine. But it's made really nice. Maybe I can short term rental. Maybe I can do traveling nurses. Maybe I can just do a, a short term rental. Maybe I'll just rent it out as a buy and hold, or maybe I'll just flip it. No problem, right? So there's it, it's a good exit strategy in the event that that stuff doesn't work out or you don't get zoning, what happened.
0: Yeah, traveling nurses, Bill. I feel like that's <laughs> that's gonna become a theme.
1: Did you, did you see my face light up? That's the second time. And it's also the second time we're bringing her up, but solely mentioned traveling nurses as well as a potential topic of interest and, and you know, as a growing uh, potential renter base, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So it's interesting that you brought that up as well, but I, I love the idea of multiple exit strategies. I think, you know, that covers your risk. Um, so I think that's great.
0: Yeah. I'm curious as to, Sometimes I feel like as a new investor, um, it can be difficult to be like, what comes first, like the chicken or the egg? So I'm kind of curious as to how you're going about this um, residential assisted living. Um, I'm sure it was an idea first, but kind of what are you going after first? Are you going after the deal first? Or are you going after um the the knowledge for like are you choosing your market first kind of what what's your what's your first step with this with this residential assisted living
2: i am choosing education first and then if i had to choose between the property or the company i would go with the property i would find the property figure out how to get the zoning in place or at least make sure the zoning's legit make sure that, that i am the, the the correct radius for the state it allows me to be like, hey, if I find that house, we're gonna move forward. So I would find the property and then say, and then find the company and, and then go from there.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I I love that advice. <clears throat> um, so I guess before we shift gears once again, I just need to ask Bill, did you have any other questions about? this residential living space. I feel like this is such a unique concept that we haven't had anybody on uh, the podcast for yet.
1: Definitely unique. I don't, I don't have any questions by the way, but definitely unique. And I think it speaks volumes to the lesson of of understanding the market and understand like kind of the macroeconomics of our country. Um, I think Travis is right that there is a, what do you call it? A silver tsunami coming. (laughs) So I, I think, you know, that's just, you're You're keeping a pulse on the market. you know what's coming and you're trying to get ahead of it. I think it's super smart.
0: Yeah So, okay, I feel like you are like a lot of people, you don't have a lot of time to be investing in real estate. Um, and I don't know, I don't have the stomach to do out of state investing. so like, again, third time he brought up solely, but like she is doing out-of-state investing too. So are you. I think that's really cool. Um, what would kind of be your best piece of advice for people that want to invest in real estate, but don't have the time, uh, maybe they have financial resources, but kind of, where would you tell somebody to start that just doesn't have the time to, to quote unquote, invest in real estate?
2: Oh man, if I didn't have the time, but I had the inclination and some money saved up that I didn't want to like leave in the savings account and lose to inflation, I would totally do syndications. I would be a passive investor. If I was a little more savvy with my finances and I wanted to be um, a little more active, passive active, right? I always made that word up. Uh, I would look at I would look at private lending and understand that and see how I can use my money, you know, because private lenders are getting 10 to 12 percent, a point or two, which is 1 percent of the purchase price up front. You know, you can look at getting paid quarterly. You can look at getting paid interest only payments a month, have a one year note. You're now the bank. You are first position on the loan. There's a lot of good things. You know, if you don't. There's no reason. Why you can't find a way to invest. You can even take, you know, you have REITs, a real estate investment trust. I think that's what a REIT stands for, right? Like you should be able to put your money in that. And that's just a big pool of money that says, hey, where and it is, it is a is it hidden? Is that the right word or undisclosed? But like you don't know what the the REIT people are buying. They're just giving you a good return on your money. That's another totally easy way if you're familiar with stocks and you don't want to mess with the house, but. Man, there's, I think passive, um, being a passive investor through syndications or private lending is such a good way for you to, to dabble. Um, Alexander, she has a Facebook page. She's fantastic. She's like, I was a landlord once and I hated it. I'm like, yep. Some people just don't want to mess with other people. And now she's, you know, she has like 6,000 members in her Facebook group and she's, all she does is invest in like New Hampshire, all just locally in her area because it's private lending. And she's crushing it.
0: So I feel like we're going to get the question: What is the difference between investing in syndications versus being a private money lender? Um, is that something you'd be able to answer?
2: Uh, yeah. So private money lending allows you to be the financier of a property. So conventionally, Kier and I we're, were the happy lucky couple. We go you know, get married. We like we're going to buy a house, and we get whatever, you know, three and a half, three and a half percent on an FHA, or we do Fannie and Freddie, we put our 20% down and we put our 20% down on $100,000 property and we finance the other 80000 right? Very traditional, very straightforward. With private lending, here in Bill, I find the house that like, hey, Travis, we have like 10 grand and this 100000 We can put 10% down with this $100,000 house. All right, cool. What I will do is I will finance the $90,000. I am now the first person, I'm first position, right? So that means if you default, I'm the first person that gets paid. So we would go and we would get the attorney and if your state requires that, right? And, uh, or a third party. And we would make a promissory note, 30 years, 15 years, one year, whatever, in whatever terms that the three of us decide to work out. Typically when I private lend, it's on a one-year note. It's a first position lead. And, it, and the verbiage says hey i, I get interest only payments of whatever interest rate we decide and that's the beauty of of private lending is we get to have that conversation it's not some institution telling me what i'm going to accept if i want to take it or leave it so we decide on the interest rate for the duration of the note and then gets recorded with title and then you just start making payments to me with the set interest rate and then we adjust whether it's amortized over 30 years, it's amortized in 15, it's uh, amortized over 30, doing five, like whatever it is, however creative we wanna be, we both parties accept the terms and move forward. Now, if you default, because it's a, a the, the property is a piece of, it's a real property with collateral, right? I get to take that over if you default based on what the contract says, and you just go from there. So private is a good way that's on the equity or sorry that's on the debt side right Because that's a debt that you owe me let's say you say hey um travis we have found this great house we can buy it for hundred thousand we know it's worth 150 because we've done our due diligence here's all the comps that say it so we're going to buy a hundred thousand can you give us a lower percentage rate? and this is something i would that i've done i would give a lower percentage rate but say hey we want to flip it in in eight months and we'll give you we'll, if you provide the hundred thousand plus the you know we're buying it for eighty plus the twenty thousand we're going to do for the renovations. Give us a lower percentage rate for that one-year note, no prepayment penalty, I meaning you don't get penalized if you pay it off early. And then we'll give you uh, you know twenty-five percent of the uh, the fifty thousand dollars we make. Cool. Now I have I have played private lending on the debt side and I've played private equity or private lending on the equity side. Makes sense.
0: Yes. I love that. It's like you, it, it's just a demonstration of how you can be so creative with real estate. You literally can make any deal <laughs> that you want to, and then write it up with an attorney and you're like, you're good to go. I love yes. that. Mm-hmm.
2: that mm-hmm. It, it really is that easy. And people try to make it so convoluted, and it's whatever the parties are comfortable doing. An attorney just is going to get his piece because he draws it up, as you should, right? As you should. Contracts and notes and all that stuff keep everybody's keep everybody's Thanksgiving and Christmas happy.
0: So what do you look for? So you said that you are a private money lender. So um, what would you look for, say, Bill and I did have a deal that we wanted to partner on with you or something? Like, What would you require from myself and Bill to be able to... like, hey Travis, we want you to invest in this deal. Kind of, what are some requirements that you look for when when you do private money lending?
2: I would look for experience, right? I would look for like, I, I would look for your ability to like, how how involved are you in this deal? Like, do you have an income? Are you guys like trying to grow meth in the back and you're just gonna kind of skate from? You know, are you flipping McDonald's, both of you and you guys met there and, and like all of that, like those are things, because if I'm going to invest my time and money into you, then it's only fair that your time and money gets reciprocated back to me. So I get to ask you those questions like, hey, what happens if you get pregnant in two months? What happens? Like, oh, I'm already four months pregnant. Oh, okay. So what's going to happen with your finances when you are home? Are you going to start doing childcare?" Like those are questions that I would ask because you're dealing with my money. Right. And, and I don't want to, give, I don't want to give my money to somebody that doesn't have a plan of like, Hey, oh, that's a good question. Whenever, whenever I deal with people, I've been fortunate to deal with everybody when I private lend everybody that I do know I've already had a relationship with, but if it was somebody new, it would be, um, your experience. Uh, what is your intention? Have you looked at it long-term? How long are you going to be in the property? Like, um, do you plan on doing repairs? Like, Just like, what is your goal? Like, tell me, how are you going to use this property to your benefit? Or are you just trying to find an easy way so that you can skip out on payments, right? And it's, it's not, it's, it's a, uh, it's, again, it's relationship-based. Like, do I feel comfy with you? Do they creep me out? Does Bill like pick his nose every time he, he looks at me like those are all different things.
1: <laughs> have I picked my nose
2: at all?
0: I don't know. We'll have to go to the YouTube channel. We'll have to go to YouTube and check it out. Oh we'll, we'll see if Bill picked his nose during this episode.
2: Yeah. I and one, here, Here's one note. I would look at your car. I would see what you drive. What does the inside look like? You wash it. You take care of it. Does it look like crap? Do you have stuff like shoved in the dash? Because that tells me that if you're going to treat your car like that, the likelihood of my property looking the same, or the property looking the same, probably pretty close. And if you default now, and I'm not only are we talking about legal fees, or we're talking about other fun stuff. If it does default, like now, I gotta go and get it all ready. So there's just a lot of different things, and it, it's very relationship based. It's it's uh, it's just kind of how you fill out people.
0: It's almost like that what is it called? The like, know, and trust factor. I feel like that's a, that's a big thing. And that's why I feel like on this podcast, we always tell everybody, and I feel like all the guests that come on, they're all like, tell every, talk to everybody, you know, tell everybody, you know, what you're doing and make sure that they understand what you're doing and that, you know, you're a good person and you're doing it for good reasons. And, you know, you, you pay your, your investors back and, um, yeah, I think I think the like, know, and trust factor is is super important. It sounds like you kind of reiterated that with that with that answer.
2: You know, with uh, Marine Corps recruiters, they talk about uh, what they, it's called PSS, professional sell selling skills, sales skills, and it's believe they say believe, like, trust, and feel, felt, found are the three ways that you bring people in. Right, they believe you, they like you, then they trust you, and then. When you're having conversations someone's like yeah I did this like oh I have felt I feel what you're going through and I have felt this and so I found that and so you use these words they're like oh that's a nice blanket I'm gonna wrap up in yeah where do you want me to sign so <laughs> it's a it's a thing it's real it's it's you know the energy of a person you know you meet them the first time and you're just like dude no, I'm sorry you know you zoom with them you talk them on the phone you talk them on the phone uh, it's, it's all of that stuff it's all wrapped in
0: Mm-hmm. And that's why people need to spend time networking, even if yes. it is through Zoom. <laughs>
2: yes. hundred percent.
0: So I know that you lost everything in 2008. Um, did you have like a moment where, like, I feel like, I don't know, I, I'm sure not everybody would give would have given up, but I'm sure a lot of people would have given up after they lost everything in 2008. So was there a moment that you can think of in time where it was kind of like, this is why I invest in real estate. This is why I do it. This is why I'm going to try it again. Like, is there, is there a reason that you keep going specifically with real estate?
2: Um, Let's see. Yeah. I would say each one of my deployments, I deployed twice to Iraq and twice to Afghanistan and each one of my deployments, you know, I write a letter to each kid. I think each, each kid was a deployment or I should say each deployment was a kid however really you want to work that out and they were they were all like three and four months old when I got back from the deployment so uh, you know you do the whole write, like write a letter to him write a letter to your wife that type of thing and there's been many times on many a night when you just have uh, you, yourself and your thoughts and you just realize like hey like I could get blown up tomorrow I could get shot like all these things that run through is like what am i leaving as a legacy for my family like what is that I'm going to be able to provide greater than myself? And that's kind of, you know, that kind of started driving me like, man, I need to get back into real estate. It's that's, that's where the opportunities that exist because social security is not going to be around. I can't rely. I'm not going to be able to work my entire life. And, I see, I don't want to be my, you know, my dad was another indicator. He was 67 when he died and he was in concrete for 40 years and he worked every day of his life. And I realized there's way more value and excitement in life out there. Um, I realized as I retired from the Marine Corps, one of my goals with my wife is to go do like church missionary work and to go do 18 months in this part of the world we go do 18 months of maybe up at Tahoe for for a year you know go bring go bring joy go bring happiness through my volunteer efforts of like providing something better and I just find myself wanting to provide things better leaving things in marine corps mantra like leave things better when you found them and if I can go somewhere and like clean up a school or paint a fence or or paint a wall you can paint a fence very well but um paint a wall or build something or you know, and it's not even like a proselyting mission or, you know, I don't have to go there and just grab on my soapbox, but just provide that service, man, like that's a fulfilling life. And if I can do that without having to touch my pension and my, and my disability that I hope to get and like everything else, and I can do that through real estate and it provides that means, man, like that is power. That's awesome. That's leaving. Uh, at the end of your day, you can see your work good. Yeah, that's good. And then you can go and just repeat that over and over. And like, who doesn't want to have? For me, that's a fulfilling life. And regardless of what method that fulfillment happens, and we should all be striving to get a fulfilled life like that.
1: That is one hell of a why, and a mic drop moment.
0: I know, right? Oh, like, what's the mic drop moment in this in this episode? It was that. <laughs> Thanks. Oh my gosh. Travis, you have been an absolute amazing guest. I feel like, um, you covered so much in this episode and it's definitely stuff that we've never touched on before. So I'm really excited for, for people to listen to this episode. Um, my last question, I, so for people that don't know, we have our, our podcast guests fill out a little questionnaire beforehand. And one of the hobbies, that you put at, well, you have a lot of hobbies. It seems like, which I'm surprised <laughs> by, um, jujitsu, surfing, woodworking, playing the ukulele. I'm like, what? <laughs> but what is um, team roping?
2: Oh yeah, all right. So that's how actually I have a I had a college scholarship to team rope. Uh, what team has any? Have you guys been to a rodeo before? Like never?
0: Never.
1: Oh, no. All right. East coast. I don't think we have that.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: Um, all right. Let me shed a tear for a second. So team roping and like, you know, the rodeo is though, right? Like it's, it's all events with cowboys and animals. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, at least we got well, foundation established. We'll go from there. So team roping is you have a header and you have a healer and you have a steer in the middle. Well, the, the header and the heater back into the box and the header nods for the steer and I'm a header. So the steer I nod for the steer. The steer exit the sh- exits the chute. He's given a certain distance to, like, get away. And then I and my partner, we run up to the steer. I rope the steer around the horns. I dally on my my saddle horn, and I turn left. Now, my healer, my partner, comes in, and when a steer runs, his back legs hop up and down like a rabbit. So the healer comes in, he gets in time with his steps and he throws his hill loop and then he goes to the horn and dallies i turn around and face and then the flagger who's timing us because time starts when the chute opens he drops the flag and that's the time so fastest time wins usually it's two to three go rounds and if you are the fastest in the go round you get money and if you win the average you win money and like that's what i grew up doing
0: Oh my gosh. I have never, ever heard of that.
1: <laughs> Me neither, but it's super interesting. I mean,
0: <laughs> you, uh, it's you... one
2: of the, uh, it's one of the really, like surfing's amazing, right? Like you are on the wave and the wave is making you happen and you're going fast and you're dropping in and all that stuff. Being on an animal when you're sitting on the animal in your saddle and you're going from zero to 35 miles an hour in about, I don't know, four or five, three to six seconds, and having like another, you're roping another animal and then your horse is moving and the steers doing the thing like it is it's a truly amazing amazing feeling to have one to feel all that power in the, in the quarter horse is the breed that we ride and to have them just reach out there and the winds in your face and you're roping it's it's pretty cool it's it's a it is definitely a five senses extravaganza <laughs>
0: You need to record yourself doing this or have someone record you doing this because (laughs) we need, I need, oh, I need to see this.
2: (laughs) Same. Fair enough. I'll I'll Uh, pull out some old stuff.
0: Yeah we would love that. We would love if you'd send that over. Um, so Travis, um, I guess we're going to wrap up the episode here now. If you just want to tell people, um, where they can find you, I don't know if you have like a website or if you're just an Instagram person, um, kind of let us know where people can reach out to you and, and, uh, and chat if they want.
2: Yep. I'm on Instagram at, travishill Travis Hill 1310. That's, uh, at Travis Hill 1310.
0: Awesome. Awesome. All right, Travis. Well, this was amazing. Thank you so, so much for being on tonight. Um, and I think maybe we should leak a little bit more into this, this next episode. You did say that you invest in Ohio and we didn't dive into that on purpose because uh, we're going to have you and um, what should I call him your partner or um, well, first, off,
2: first I would call him my friend,
0: friend. Yes. Friend and partner.
2: Uh yeah, I guess we could, that's, that's becoming a thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There.
0: So, um, yeah, we're going to have Travis and, um, Steve on who Steve was on, um, last week's episode. So, um, we're going to have like a, a dual episode with Travis and Steve and kind of how they got together and what they're, what they're doing, um, in Ohio. So we'll dive into that on the next episode. So we're excited for you guys to all listen to that.
2: Nope. Can't wait.
0: Yeah. All right. Thank you, Travis, so much. Have a great night.
2: Thanks, guys. You too. All
0: Bye-bye. right. Bye-bye.